0: I'm Ian Abernethy, and welcome to this special joint podcast with myself and Wim Demeter. So, as some of you will remember, a couple of months ago I was on Wim's podcast. Uh, At the end of the podcast, I got chatting with uh, Wim, told him how much I'd like to have him on my podcast, and we uh, decided what would be fun was to ask listeners to both our podcasts for questions. And then Wim and I would would chat them around. So obviously, you know, Wim as a like a self-defense focus similar to myself, and Wim has a traditional background similar to myself. Although Wim comes from the more Chinese systems, where I'm more the Japanese and Okinawan system. So we thought that would make like interesting viewpoints on on common topics. So we threw it out to our respective audiences. We asked you on Facebook, social media, you know, what topics would you like us to talk about, and we got you know, great feedback. Wim and I then narrowed that down to questions that we thought would be of most interest to, to most people. And this is what you've got in uh, in this particular podcast. So I really did enjoy chatting with, with Wim. Um, big fan of what he does. But love how articulate he is when he expresses himself. I think there's some great information uh, brought out in this podcast that I'm sure you'll all uh, enjoy listening to. So without further ado, here's myself and Wim discussing all the various questions that you gave to myself and Wim. Thanks very much to all the listeners for joining uh, myself and Ed Wim. As the, the background of this, obviously, I, I, I've known Wim, um, we met at uh, Mark McYoung's Barbecue, but obviously very aware of his work. I uh, really like what he does, and I, I, the honour of being on his his own podcast, uh, maybe a couple of months ago. So, I, I wanted to get Wim on mine, and we thought, well, the, what we'd do is do like a joint podcast, and as you know, the, the listeners, we, we asked for questions from you all, and these are the questions you, you've got. So, uh, we're going to start with uh, the first one, which uh, uh, which whims got
1: yeah so um this first question i had is as follows i'd be interested in hearing thoughts from the both of you on bunkai for chinese martial arts forms any noteworthy variations in how forms are constructed in chinese martial arts versus karate are there any useful rules of thumb for reading a form any differences between internal and external styles? That was yeah. a question. And I think Yuin, you you had a very similar uh, one, I, I, to this I, I,
0: one. I did, yeah. So it was, um, have you, meaning you know, me, uh, have you ever studied and broken down any Kung Fu forms? Has Wim ever done the same with Kata? What differences do you see between Okinawa and Chinese forms? So it's largely the same question, you know. And, and obviously, that, that uh, questions along them lines came in from quite a few people at this end. So, um so, yeah, so, um, well, I, I can answer the one, have I ever broken down a Chinese form? Because, uh, well, I've tried to. So I, I have a, one of my friends, who also does Tai Chi, and when we were together once, he said, I'd just like you to kind of con- give your karate eye to this form. And, like, so obviously I'm aware I'm viewing it for, through the long cult- cultural lens, the long historical lens, but just using that, you know, what can you, you see here? So I did notice some some differences um uh, from the off when i tried to do that the first thing i noticed was the fluid movement it was karate tends to kind of freeze frame at various points which which kind of highlights the the posture you're looking for i found the fluid motion of the chinese form means that when i was doing it in my karate mind i was having to split it up into pieces still
1: okay well i'm gonna i'm going to talk a little bit for about you know purely chinese martial arts and 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 this is just a couple of points that i that i'll i'll bring up and i will see um uh, if that, if that resonates with you. Um, there's no wasted movements uh, normally in a form, so that everything means something. Yeah. And um, generally speaking, what you can see is that movements in a form can be a, a defense against a striking technique. It could be a throw or a takedown or a trip or a sweep or something along those lines. It could be a joint lock, or it could be a multiple opponent situation. Those are the broad categories that you can use to uh, analyze movements from forms, and, and again, broad, broad generalization, because obviously, there's there's forms are going there are going to be styles out there where, where they have forms that that don't you know completely fit into any of these categories or they have a different take. There's hundreds and hundreds of different styles of kung fu, so it's it's hard yeah. to uh, to give a definitive statement. But that that would be it. So striking techniques, um, some sort of throw, a takedown, uh, a joint look, or multiple opponents. And and those are the typical categories. If you look at um, the Tai Chi that I do, that's very often the case where there's one movement, and you and and there's like eight nine applications. Just the first movement in the form has about eight nine applications, and pretty much all of these categories are involved. Hmm. So uh, that would be the first thing you do when you look at um, what are what are the, the what is the inner meaning of forms. Um, another one. You mentioned it, Ian, it's, it's a cultural lens that you look through. There's cultural artifacts and, and stuff in there in, I think, all Asian martial arts. Um, and uh, this this is one, I think it was from Hungar, if I'm not mistaken. This is from an old, old um, documentary where I saw it. And then there was this movement with, the, I think it was the halberd, uh, so a long spear with a blade on top of it for the guys, the folks who don't know what that is. And there was this movement where he, he pulled the weapon to the side, the teacher, and he moved his hand to the opposite side in a downward movement. And he explained that, well, this, this is not a technique, but back in the day, uh, men wore really long beards and mustaches, so he's just pulling his beard out of the way from the <laughs> weapon. So, But if you watch it, it's very beautiful. It's a flowing movement, so it's, it, it looks fine. And you could then start imagining, um, you know, uses for that technique but you'd be wrong
0: yeah
1: <laughs> and and this brings us to one of the favorite topics of a friend of man of, of mine and he calls it necromancy it's just raising the dead raising dead forms and interpreting them from our uh from our perspective so it's just a uh, uh, one example i'll give you quickly another one in uh, <clears throat> one of the Kuntao forms that i learned from uh, bobo landu in in that form has a very strong chinese influence there's symbolism in the salutation uh, for instance, in, in you make the form of a triangle between both, both thumbs uh, touching and your index fingers touching as well, and you hold it out in front of you. And it looks like a triangle if you look in between uh, those connecting fingers. And that symbolizes the mountain, and that symbolizes perspective. And the whole idea of that is that you you look at a violent situation from a distance, take some perspe- perspective as opposed to jumping right in. So there's no immediate um the application but there is a very strong symbolism and there's a very strong reason why it's in the form before we start fighting take a step back take some perspective get some perspective and then decide how to act which is a really good self-defense lesson so that's cultural stuff that is sometimes really hard i I don't know if that's present in any japanese forms but uh that's really something that I found in in many Chinese styles. Yeah. And and as a final point, and then I'll I'll go back to you, Ian. Um, the, I didn't see any differences between internal and external styles per se. It's mostly between styles themselves, that yeah. that they're they're very different.
0: Yeah, I that think, was it. You no, know, that, that, um, that that a lot of that resonates with 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 me. So, um, in, in terms of the, the, the historical oddities that we get, I mean, these, the, there are a few techniques within the form that re- revolve around gripping the, the the top knot, you know, the hair as it was worn at the time. Where a lot of these, forms? which which again, you know, I always say hipsters are bringing it back. Your cat is great for fighting <laughs> samurai and hipsters, you know. It's, um, uh, so 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 that's you know we have to make some adaptations. I think another one, you know, for the application, a lot of the techniques, uh, things have moved on legally as well. So these techniques will take a guy down. And stomp on his skull well obviously we, we, th- that's what the form does but when we practice it with, with a partner we tend to shift that to a stomp to the legs or something like that you know so so there's, there's changes like that um in terms of like uh, for analyzing my my key three things are um the angle and i'd be interested if um on whether this one applies to the chinese form so i'll maybe do this one last so the first one is i always look at the hand positions so do, do, what are the hand positions doing is is that as you say is that a lock or throw is that a joint lock of some description do i recognize what the hands are doing uh, the other one is the stance which is an obvious one you know that shows you the weight shift so am i pushing forwards am i pulling am i sinking am i rising that's again will help you know if it's i'm rising it's like to be like a, some kind of rising strike and some kind of rising joint lock or a throw or something like that so so that gives you some kind of intricacy and going back to the differences between the uh, Chinese forms. That was one thing that the karate, karate tends to. Um, in application, you are supposed to flow through the stances, but in the cat, it highlights them by freezing on them. And when I, when I've looked yeah. at the Tai Chi forms, obviously they don't do that. You know, which which um, you know it's flowing. So when I've looked at them, I've had to okay, what what is the weight shift that's actually occurring? You know, that, that's one thing. But the big one that, that is uh, very misunderstood within the karate is that the the angles in the forms. You know, as you change position. Uh, represents the angle you assuming relative to the enemy. It's very misunderstood that and then Kenwin Mabuni, the founder of Shitoru, all the old masters regarded him as being the man when it came to Kata um, he, uh, right in the 1930s he said, uh, the purpose of angles in Kata is not well understood and this has led to people saying things like this Kata is for fighting eight people or some other such nonsense. Um, and then he then goes on to explain that you know you, you, most of the time you're dealing with something to the front and the angle represents you taking the best tactical position by shifting to the left or the right, or sometimes even trying to get behind them. So, Do, do, do the angles in the, the Chinese forms have a similar significance? Is that...
1: Yeah, Yes and no. Um, Chinese forms tend to get complicated, and, and I'm going to uh, caveat that a little bit and say that, uh, for instance, the Tai Chi style that I practice, that I've been practicing for well over 20 years now, um, there's one form. That's it. Only one. I've done other Chinese styles where there were well over a dozen different forms from very basic ones to very intricate ones so again it's really hard to to say well this is a general statement for all chinese martial arts so i'm mainly speaking from my personal experience um what i find for instance in the tai chi that i do there is that there's the angle that you're following is uh, in relation to um your opponent like you said so getting, getting a better position but also what happens is for instance many movements and not just in the, the hand form but also in our weapon form that the attacker is not in front of you. you're defending against an attack that's coming in from the side or even from the back. So that's a that's a completely different um, way of looking at it, and the idea is that well you don't have time to face the guy, you don't have that time to reposition, reorient on him, and and get into uh, a proper fighting fighting stance, so to speak. So you have to move from where you are, and and that ties in with what you said before about the flowing movements. One of the reasons why you do flowing movements is it's because you are working really hard to go from one place to the other for instance from a back stance into a front stance as you do uh, a forward punch for instance Mm -hmm. and you do that slowly so you can really control um, getting all all sorts of very specific mechanics right but also that the moment that you end that technique everything gets delivered at the same time we call it everything begins and ends at the same time so your punch your weight transfer your hip rotation your shoulder rotation your arm extension it all uh, is timed so all the force is delivered at the end at the right time uh, and I'm, again I'm oversimplifying but then the point is that as you do that you need to be able to flow into whatever direction you need to go next so going slowly and, and flowing through the movement also teaches you to not only um, coordinate everything in a certain way but also transition into the next movement in as fluid as a way as possible so you have a lot of control over transitions and then when you speed up then uh, you 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 try to maintain that control, so you move really fast, and you have a lot of control uh, over those movements at the same time. That's kind of the uh, one of the one of the aspects of it. Yeah, no, that,
0: that, that that makes um, yeah that make makes sense. I think that that's one of the. Um... The, the issues with the, with the, the Japanese forms. Well, you've got is you've got lots of discrete lessons of, that have been put end to end as well. So when you're doing the kata, you've got, um, unrelated sequences transitioning together, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, originally, you know, a kata would be something like, you know, um, twenty-four two-person sets, and then what happens is they put the solar representation of that end to end, and it's knowing where one ends and one begins. Uh, I mean, the word bunkai, I mean, literally means to, to to chop into little pieces so one can understand, you know, so di- yeah. that to di- to dissect. Um, and again I think that, that's one of the issues so uh, you do get the, the, the moving from position to position and sometimes those transitions are combative and sometimes they're what I call linking steps, it's, it's just putting them together see one of the big ones as well is most of the, the karate forms they tend to go forwards um, for a, a certain distance then they turn round and they come back You know, so often that, that big turn in the middle, people are always you know, well, is, that, is that turn a throw, is it a pivot and I said, no, what that throw represents is that the originator of this form couldn't afford a bigger dojo. That's what it represents. <laughs> you know, it's it's simply like jackknifing the cutter back in half. So we can yeah. come back the other way. So sometimes those, those angular shifts, if you like, are just simply the fact that it's folding back and same with, with those transitions. But, but I, I mean, I think, you know, like you say, you do have the nuances, but, but I think when it gets a, a, and down to it, I always like uh, Gavin Mulholland once said, uh, he said, uh, our styles are not what we do, it's how we train what we do. So, yeah. which I always thought resonated with me. So I, I, I obviously do see some differences in the way the forms are constructed and the various elements, but, but I think the, the end result... Uh, is largely similar we, we're both both systems are looking for you know the combative efficiency that good movement the sound tactics encapsulated within in the form so they may record it a little bit differently but they're ultimately trying to achieve the same thing
1: yep yep i agree i agree yeah,
0: yeah. well I, I think that i think that's that should cover it no. yeah I think, I think it should <laughs> be enough so uh, uh, i'd be interested in your definitions of principle-based training and how you guys apply it in your uh, teaching and training
1: I was introduced by of, of uh, what we call nowadays principle-based training by Bob Orlando's book, uh, Indonesian Fighting Fundamentals, and that, that book was uh, published, I think, uh, well over 20 years ago. It's a really great book. Um, Bob eventually became my teacher, um, I, and I invited him over to Belgium for seminars. I trained with him a couple of times in the US, and uh, and then I became a student. Um, so I have a little bit, not as much as his, as his other students, but I have a little bit of experience with how he, he would teach. He unfortunately passed away two years ago. Now, that was the first time that I saw somebody go really into depth about principles. Um, this is the kind of stuff that before, before that I would recognize sometimes with, uh, with teachers and, and, and in systems, but it wasn't explicitly stated. It was just there, and they understood it, but they didn't verbalize it. Bob, on the other hand, what he did, he says, look, these are fundamental principles that you find in uh, Indonesian martial arts. And and obviously, he didn't mean like this is, uh, uh, you know, for every single martial art, every single principle is going to be exactly like the way I say it. That wasn't the point, but it's about recognizing principles so I would very much recommend um, that book and, and, and I will put in my show notes uh, a link to the book because so, it's a great book to, to have. Um, and um, and just see how... And then there's videos of Bob on, on YouTube that you can see him training. And then you can, if you know the principles, recognize them and see what he means with that. So that that's one thing. Um, the way I use it is uh, I use it as a teaching structure. So what that means is that principles are a foundation of whatever art that you teach. And they should be manifested in everything you do in training. Now, that that doesn't mean that um, they're absolutes, because the principles interact with each other. And I'll give two examples. Uh, The first one is adherence or adhesion, which is one of uh, the principles of both um, Bob's Kuntao and the Tai Chi Chuan that I practice. And that means that you stick to the other guy. Once you have contact, you stick to the guy. Don't necessarily push or pull or whatever. That's something else but you, you maintain contact. Okay, what if the situation suddenly changes and you need to let go and create distance? Then you need to abandon that principle because you, you still need to get to the end goal of, of you know getting to safety and surviving the encounter. So so that's one example. Um, another one from Bob is a whiplash. One of the principles is a whiplash. So you move somebody one way, so he reacts by resisting, and then you use that force against him to move him the other way which is what was your intent all along okay and there's a bunch of techniques that use that work great but what if he really outweighs you significantly what if he's a really big strong guy and you're uh, a petite woman and he outweighs you by 100 pounds and and you you can't generate the force necessary to pull it off really well then you need to abandon that principle if if it doesn't work for you then in this situation then don't follow it because that would be suicide Mm. So that that's what I mean with principles. They interact and they're not absolute. Sometimes a little, little bit more of this, sometimes a little bit more of that, and that brings me to um, something that I've I've written about <laughs> in the past, and, and and I've I've annoyed people about this for years, which is what I call Randy's Law. Uh, and again, I'll, I'll put a link to the article in my show notes. And Randy's Law says that differences are just as important as the similarities. So you can say it all: this principle, this and this and that, blah blah blah. But if in the context. There is uh, one aspect that changes that makes it radically different. Even if it doesn't look like that on uh, at the on surface level, you need to take those differences into account. And and that's a little bit of my um, criticism, maybe to people who are always going on about you know principle trace based training as, as the 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 most the best thing ever is that it it sometimes not always sometimes used as an excuse to not really have a good teaching structure. To, to not really follow a, a really solid teaching methodology, which will be we'll get, I'll get back to that in one of the other questions. And yeah. free, free play alone isn't enough. You don't just spar, you don't just work freely. You, depending on what you need to learn, um, the, you need structured teaching as well, and then principles are, are part of it. You, you don't become a jet fighter by just getting in a plane, taking off, you're not going to be able to because you don't know how, and then just, you know, pew, 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 shooting at other people. Mm-hmm. That's not how you become a jet fighter. You need a lot of study and, and structure training and, and training that um, one area builds upon the next one and so on. And, and, but there are fundamental principles of of, um, of a flying an airplane. There, there's lift, there's drag, there's, there's fundamental principles that you cannot ignore. You need to understand these. But, and eventually you need to be able to uh, uh, do a dogfight in the air. Basically, as a jet fighter, you need to be able to to fight with your airplane. Uh, which means chaos and, and, and a lot of stuff and, and that need and, and creativity and, and so on. But before you can do that, <laughs> you need to know what the laws of physics really mean for an airplane. And somebody needs to teach you that in a really structured setting. Yeah,
0: that, that's so, a really long story. Go ahead. No, so that's a re- really good point. I, I was smiling when you said, you know, that they'll use it as an excuse for unstructured training, you see because to, to everything you've said there I, I I I get that and fully agree with it you see but I thought that that observation there made me smile so from my bit it's exactly the same thing and it maybe from it takes us back the forms a little bit so uh, I, I'm lucky that all, and I, I don't know if this is because I've self-selected my teachers or something like that, but but all of them have been principle-based instructors. You know, they, they, they've never been, you know, um, they, they've never got lost or stuck on the technique. It's always been, here's the technique and here's the principles that it embodies. Exactly. And the important thing is that you understand the principles. So at seminars, I always use a line from Enter the Dragon, right? Because everyone's seen that movie, but there's that bit where uh, Bruce Lee's teaching, the, 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 like the teenager at the start, keeps slapping him around the head every time he does something wrong and there's a bit where he says you know it's like a finger pointing at the moon the kid looks at the finger and he slaps him across the head again and says don't fixate on the finger or you miss all that heavenly glory so I, I always say that the examples in the forms that, that the that the techniques the drills that it shows are not supposed to be um, the end you know the be all and end all of everything what they are is they're an illustration of principle and what you need to do is understand the principle explore the various ways in which that principles can be uh, enacted and applied to the point where that principle becomes habitual and it's Something that you fight in accordance with as you say when it is appropriate to do so in the situation and changing according to your goal I mean that's you know that's principle based in itself so there's a hierarchy of, 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 of them too so I always say you, know, you learn the form you learn the applications for that form you identify the principles that that form uh, embodies and then you gain live experience of doing it but one thing I found is people struggle with the word principle uh, sometimes if they, they, they come from a very technique uh, centered approach I'll get, they'll say, well, show me a principle. And I'll say, well, here's a principle. You know, you, you keep the, uh, the enemy in front of you, but you're not in front of the enemy. So I'll show them yeah. some various ways of moving. And then they'll go, yeah, no, I get all those techniques, but can you show me the principle? You know, cause, and of course you can't because a principle is ethereal. You can show it how, how it manifests itself in various scenarios, but, but you, you can't show it. And I know some people struggle to think at that, that, lev- that level, you see. But, um, but you yeah. need to, because be, the, the aim for me is you get it internalized so the principle becomes habit
1: well one, and, and I completely agree with that and, and what you just said about people you know showing me principle um one of the things that I that I like to do is is uh, look up the dictionary definition because people often don't understand what a word means because they have their own interpretation of it and I've got it in front of me here principle it's uh, a fundamental truth or proposition that serves as the foundation for a system or belief or behavior or for a chain of reasoning and the second <laughs> definition is a general scientific theorem or law that has numerous special applications across a wide field. And that second one is what I, is what I think is spot on for martial yeah. arts and self-defense. And, and it's general theory, but it has special applications in the field that, that we're talking about here. So, so of course, you know, um, this is one of the things that, that Bob did all the time when he would teach, and, and he was extremely methodical. Um, he, he, he was a, a programmer, so he taught in, in math and so on. And he, he often said, like, look, I'm going to t- these these other principles. I'm, we're going to do an application now. And then he would say, this would, is perhaps not the best application in the world, but it really illustrates the principle well. And I think that's a key point when you teach it's like you want to know a principle, look, I'll show you something where you can see it in action really, really well, and then when we do something else where maybe that's a better technique, you know arguably speaking, but you 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 might not see the principle as easily, but you can recognize it because we've done this other um, more uh, explicit version of it in 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 this uh, in this other uh, application.
0: Yeah, no, that, that makes sense as well, because sometimes, of course, like you say, there's, there's never just one at play. You know, when, when normally when you, you're doing any combative motion, there's, there's several all interacting, as, you, as you know, you, you've mentioned. So sometimes what you'll do is you'll say, well, I'm going to try and isolate this one a little bit. So, for example, you know, I've got, um, uh, I taught it this week, and a fairly long uh, drill um, on controlling limbs. Uh, so it, yeah. it, it, it's essentially what it's very good for is that idea of, of, of sticking. You know, that you never lose contact with the limb when you do. Well, if you look at it as an Aziz technique uh, or, or a representation of a fight, it's, it's wanting because there's not a lot else going on. What, why is the enemy just sitting there allowing it to stick to his limbs? Why isn't he moving back or forwards? Or, you know, but, but, but as you say, what we're doing is we're isolating that specific skill, that specific idea, and then you've got other other drills where, you know, you, you put it into context and give it its application. Yep, yep. Yeah. I, I okay. think I think that would uh, nicely cover that one. I, I, just as an aside, uh, I mean, I talk about principles a lot, but the the, the terminology "principle-based training" um, isn't one that uh, is part of the lexicon really. But I do like it. It's a it's a very um, nice term for I think how arts you know should be practiced really. Yeah, yeah. really good. Yeah, well, well,
1: for for me, it's more along the lines of well. Uh, kind of like like duh of of course <laughs> when, when you when you're teaching you're supposed to be doing that anyway and we talk about this in martial arts a lot but when you go to other fields no nobody makes a big deal out of it because they do it by default that's the default position we need to teach principles and so on so martial arts is, is funny sometimes <laughs> No,
0: it, it definitely is. and for me i mean where this um I'll, I'll tell this story then we can move on to the next one but uh before i was a full-time martial artist i worked as an electrician um, yeah. so i remember when i was serving my apprenticeship with my electrician it was okay here's Kirchhoff's laws here's ohm's laws here's boyle's laws yeah. these are the things that do that you, that you need to understand as an electrician N- now then when you go on to, uh, a plant you know every single piece of kit can be different you know, uh, whether I'm working on a, like a socket in an office or a, a crane, I worked in like a nuclear industry, so some really high tech stuff. And I, and I remember talking to, uh, when I was nearly at the end of my apprenticeship, and, I, and I, I, w- where I was at the time, it was uh, said to be the most advanced control system in Europe. So I'm a 20-year-old guy, i am just finished my apprenticeship, and I'm like, man, this is some complicated stuff. And the guy who was my apprentice in the final couple of months I was apprenticing to, he said, no, it's not, This is none of it's complicated. And he goes, look, let's get a drawing out. So he gets a drawing out, and I look at this drawing, and I'm, man, this is blowing my mind, it's way too complicated. He goes, no, no, tell me how that bit works. So he pointed out a small bit on the diagram. So I read the schematic and see what's going on. He goes, "Well, that's all it is." He says, "The complicated stuff is just lots of simple stuff, you know." And and again, that that again hit me, saying, "Oh yeah, this is just like you know, the, I've been the martial arts that I've been taught to me. It's always boil it back to the basics, and then what seems very complex becomes very simple." Which is why I like principle training, because I don't do complex. My brain struggles with that. If people if people show me anything, I'm always like, you know, I need to you wind it back to core precepts. So I'm told that I, that was one that compliment I got the seminar. You know, you're very good at making it basic. I thought it's because I can't do anything else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I haven't got the intellect to get complicated. I, ne- I need it to be simple, you know, so, yeah. <laughs> so, um, okay. sec- uh, second one from, from you, Wim, I think. Is yep. That, uh, yep.
1: So here's a question for you, uh, Ian, how to preserve health even while training, including sparring, even while training very hard during many years
0: well i am um, this is one that i talk about a lot recently because i've realized that so I'm 47 now, and I've realised in the last couple of years that I'm not 20. <laughs>
1: I joined the club. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah it, 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 I,
0: honestly, it was, a, and it's still a semi-state of denial, you know. Like you know, I keep chasing personal bests, bests I set, you know, years ago, and so. But I, 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 I think for me, is the the, I, the two things I think any good approach to martial arts needs, and this is my personal tick sheet, and but I always say anything that's going to be of interest to me has to be life-preserving and life-enhancing. Is, is the two, yeah. the two that I see. So in terms of life preserving, that's yeah, the function in high risk situations, but it also needs to make sure that it's going to make you live longer. It's good for your health. And then when we come to life enhancing, I don't want a martial art that's going to cause me to have knee problems, to live with constant pain, to live with constant aches. So, so it, it has to keep the, the, the body functioning. So on a day-to-day basis, I'm, um, I'm, 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 I'm fit and, and and I'm I'm healthy. So and that of course that, that can um, uh, juxtapose a little bit with the the combative efficiency because you know when you're in your twenties you know I want to go fast and hard and um, but at a certain point you've got to say okay this is going to take its toll and if I want the longevity I've got to train a little bit more uh, more in, intelligently. So I, I, for me I think it's always just been uh, mindful of it. And, and, and again, it mentions including sparring, so this is a good example when, when I was uh, in my uh 20s we had a wednesday night session which is when we'd put the gloves on and we'd far uh, spar you know like heavy contact for the entire session yeah Uh, and and you'd come you know you would end up with batters and brews thursday morning was not unusual to wake up with headaches and there comes a certain point where you think i'm not sure that i'm gaining anything from doing this uh and there's there's a risk to my health with doing it So that was something we kind of uh, phased out, you know. I remember Bertrand Ingle, you know, the famous boxing coach, there was an interview with him in Boxing Magazine, and he was saying that, you know, he's trained many world champions. And he says he doesn't get any of them to spar full contact. They train full contact on, you know, uh, they fight full contact on the night but they don't train that way. And he had this phrase where he said, uh, the only time someone should punch you in the head full power is when you're getting paid millions of dollars for it to happen. Yeah. And, and that resonated with me. And that was the point I think, okay, you know, this is, it, it's, it, it had its place when I was younger, but I've got to realize that, you know, I, I, I have to look after my body and I want it to function for me. So anything that would harms my body, I, I now try to avoid.
1: Yeah, excellent right um, well I'm, I've got a list here of stuff because I, I um, as some of the listeners know I my main job is being a personal trainer so I've trained many people I've also helped people as a third care um, third level care person in a sense that they go to a doctor then they go to rehab with a physical therapist and then they end up with me because the rehab isn't really over uh, even though the therapist says it's over um, let me put it differently. Uh, a couple of things that, that I learned, and also from I've had several surgeries throughout the year. I just had the shoulder, my shoulder repaired uh, uh, December last year, and I'm finally finished with rehab. So I have some experience in this field. Um, you only get one body, body, sorry. You get one body, and you're stuck with it until you die. So maybe treat it well. You know, L- let the stuff heal. You can spar; it's fine. You can spar hard; that's fine. But if something's, you know, messed up. Um, if you feel pain, that that means that there's something wrong. So listen to your body and fix it, mm. and let it heal. and And that means, you know, going to the doctor. Sure, sure, you're a macho man and you, you you're you're tough as nails, I know, but you know, go anyway. Um, and and if you and a lot of people have frustrating experiences with doctors, okay, go for a doctor who has a sports medicine specialization. If you can't find one who specializes in martial arts, they exist. But if you can't find them, any sports medicine specialization is fine because they, they look at you differently. I had a, a, a doctor who took care of me while I was competing, and he was a sports medicine specialist, and he knew that he shouldn't say, well, rest for two weeks and take this pill. That was not an answer that, that was on the table. He said, okay, you can do this, you can do this. Do not do this until you feel this. And and that that is what you want to hear as a martial artist. Um and and there's something that I that that uh, I often tell my clients, uh, my personal training clients, when they are injured and so on. So, you have to look at injuries as a sliding scale. So on the left side, that's early stage of an injury. So and there's a bunch of treatments that are possible there. And in many cases, just letting it rest, letting it heal up, is all it takes. And then and then if you don't do that, it progressively gets worse until you hit like um, a checkpoint. Once you go beyond this point a lot of the previous possibilities are off the table forever. They don't come back because it's degenerated into an, a more severe problem. Mm-hmm. And then other treatment options are possible and so on. Um, and then you mo- you slowly slide along the scale towards another checkpoint, and it takes even more options away. And eventually, this keeps on happening until there's a point of no return where the doctor is going to say, it's too late. We can't do anything for you. Live mm-hmm. with it um i have lasting injuries from all the heart sparring and heart training that i did that will never ever go away i have got uh, my bicep tendons have um calcified is what they call it it's not it's not calcified but uh they are more stiff that means that they can snap so i am no longer allowed to lift the really really heavy weights i used to and i know that it might happen one day that i'm just throwing a hook punch and that my bicep just tears off so that's on the table for me now which means I train very differently. I still train hard, uh, but not in the way I did before. And rest and recovery becomes so so much more important. So that, that and that is the, the another point I want to mention is recovery is the most important thing. When you train, when you, especially when you train hard, you're breaking down your body. It's when you rest and sleep and eat and recover. That's when you get stronger, faster, and so on. So focus on on recovery as much, perhaps even more then uh, you focus on the training. Um, and quickly going over over my list here. So train around injuries. The, there's always, almost always something you can do, uh, even if it's not what you want to do, but just train around the injuries. If you do get injured and you need surgery or whatever, do the rehab. You only get one shot at rehab, and then it's done. And sometimes it's permanent. For instance, uh, my shoulder surgery, so I had a labrum was torn, and supraspinatus muscle was completely torn off. So they reattached that, and and uh, my surgeon said, "Yeah, your tendons were kind of fighting us." Dude. He did. Uh, normally, when I pull on a tendon to reattach it, it uh, it's fine, and yours pulled back. I said, "Okay, my body's stubborn." So, uh, but I did my rehab really, really well, and and I saw my surgeon back after a month, and he was surprised. He said, "This is the best result we could have hoped for." But I worked my ass off, and I was crying tears of pain when I did my first month of rehab because I knew that I was only getting one shot. Mm. so so take care of it and the last point um sparring i love sparring Uh, i'm gonna do four more years of it and when i'm 50 i'm gonna hang up my gloves um don't go all out all the time it's not necessary it's kind of productive um what i like to do is you work in periods of high medium and low intensity yeah You, 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 you just you mix it up don't spar hard all the time it is the stupidest thing you can do one of the main reasons for that even with headgear even with big gloves we know now that every single punch to the head causes trauma. Mm-hmm. It's, it, the, the, we talk about being punch drunk, uh, dementia pugilistica, uh, all these kinds of stuff. Um, it, we know now, we thought it was a cumulative effect. We know now that it's every single punch counts, every single one. It's not just that you get five light ones and then you end up knocked out. No, no, no. Every single blow to the head causes trauma. So be very careful with uh, how you want to end up later in life. Done. That was it. That was my list.
0: Yeah, no, it's really, really good. There's that um, thing of, you know, we 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 do the martial arts, you know, people, especially uh, if they're self-defense focused. It's, well, I do it to keep myself safe. Or we need to make sure that the, the gym or the dojo is not the most dangerous place we go to. And that applies to the short and longer term as well, I think. So um, making sure that you're mindful of it and, and then training uh, accordingly accordingly. And again, you may need to make some compromises. Because, you know, I think male ego kicks in a little bit as well. You know, everyone wants to go hard and fast, but sometimes, as you say, we've got to override that and listen to our bodies a little bit. But your advice there is um, superb. I had to laugh when he said about the doctor as well, because my doctor was exactly like that with me. Okay, Ian, you need to rest it. You're okay. Yeah, no, I mean it though, Ian. Because <laughs> <laughs> I know you're not going to rest it. No, 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 honestly, I will. Of course I leave and I don't rest it. <laughs> like, you know, because so, again, you know, you, just, you don't as a martial artist, do you? But uh, I've had bad injuries where I've had to. But as, I, as yeah. you say, most times you can work around it. Like when I busted my knee up, I was still I was, just, I was literally sitting on the floor punching the bag. I couldn't stand and do it, so I did it from a seated position. Yeah. It's still something, you know, so. No,
1: totally yeah, that's easy. a good one. Lovely. I've got uh, Next one. one. When you know a self defense situation has to be addressed with force, how do you train to ensure the force is sufficient to ensure your safety, but not so great as that it places you on the wrong side of the law? That's that's a good one. I like that it, one.
0: It, no, it, it is. It's a really good one. I, I, I'm about to. I've, I've written a podcast that I've, I've yet to record just on that that topic. So I, I, from from and it is absolutely crucial. You know, for the self defense side of things, you just can't ignore the law. And I find that a lot of martial artists, because they they uh, they, they understand their martial art really well, they, they they either don't know they need to, or they can't be bothered to add in all the extra skills. Uh, and understanding and knowledge that a true approach to self defense needs, and law is one of them. People just get lazy. So they explain it away with, you know, better to be um, judged by 12 than carried by six, yeah. or in a street fight, you haven't got time to think about it, you know. So, so on the first one, that's a false choice. You know, you, as Rory Miller says, your choices aren't just prison or death. You, the, 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 you can make sure that you defend yourself effectively in a way that's legal. And the point about, you know, you can't um, consider it in the, the heat of the moment is one I agree with completely in the middle of a scenario and i can't be sitting you know what does the criminal injustice act 2008 say about reasonable force again but but you can think about that when you're constructing your training so, so my, my big thing for the self-defense side of things is to try uh, and have our drills uh, condition the right habits so it's not something the students need to think about so uh, for uk law you know reasonable force it's just um, like it has to be honest and instinctive action um, it says that you're not expected to judge to uh, a, a, a nicety the level of forced use. So I'll let the students know this so I know it's not about getting it exactly right. That No one's going to prosecute you for hitting with slightly, you know, too many pounds per square inch or anything like that. You know, and, and the key thing is that you uh, train with the objective of escaping rather than defeating um, or winning, because therefore it's very difficult to argue legally that you... Cross to the wrong side of the law because you escaped the instant it was safe to do so so that's one thing that I'm, we make sure that we do that we, our drills don't end with you know guards up looking at one another or anything like that they, they end we do all the in you know, bunk our bunkhouse drills end up with people running away so we condition the habit that as soon as you know that the person's been sufficiently disorientated that it's now the right time to run we, we instantly run away and when we do that as well we're very mindful of the way that we retreat will be perceived so if you run away uh, with like a, a guard up or a screaming or kiaing or something like that, that can be perceived by witnesses as you being um, some an aggressor or admiring your handiwork. Witnesses can get things wrong. So we practice running away, hands up in a passive gesture, you know, stay back, stay back, don't hurt me, don't hurt me. So everyone's clear on, on what's going on. So, so my thing would be is to make sure that your drills, understand what the law is, then make sure that your drills are in accordance with uh, what the... the um, Uh, the the law is that encourage legal action and that you're mindful of what you um, how it will be perceived by others and then the final thing i would add in is as well is uh, that it's always good i have a handout that i give to students that this is what the legal procedure is if you are interviewed by the police about a self-defense scenario so things that you will be expected of you rights that you have uh, advice that I've got from uh, judges, magistrates and uh, police officers and a police trainer about what you should and should not say in, in what stages you see so we try and, and cover it completely so people don't accidentally get themselves into to trouble because of course it, the, people aren't judged on what they actually did they're judged on what is perceived that they did yeah. it's making sure that the, the the perception is right, you don't inadvertently make things more difficult for yourself so that, that would be the, the, the broad thing for me without getting into specifics
1: okay well, that's really great and and I've, i was deleting stuff that i was going to say because you covered it all <laughs> <laughs> so I, I only have a few things to add um i would say train for different levels of intensity not every fight is to the death even though yeah. it could be but um if, if you're stuck in a, a, at a party whatever and this guy's really drunk and and he takes a swing at you but you can see it coming from a mile off you, know, you, don't, you don't need to hit him 50,000 50, times and uh, re-stomp the, gro- the groin, as Mazda mm-hmm. Ken likes to say, uh, a dozen times. It's not necessary. Train for different levels of intensity. Um, and, and, and you need to have clear triggers. Uh, what I mean by that is that you need to know when you kick it up a notch to another intensity level. For instance, um, you're, you're, you're facing one guy. All of a sudden, the second guy shows up, and it's two-on-one. That changes everything dramatically um you are facing a guy and he's in your face and blah 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 and he's just uh you know um uh, verbally aggressive and and threatening and blah 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 but he doesn't do anything and then he pushes you and then you try you deflect it and you're fine and then he pulls a knife suddenly changed um and a final example you're alone it's one thing but, or you're running into trouble when you're there with your wife or with your child totally changes the intensity of the conflict so you need to have clear um procedures in place and triggers like okay if this happens or this is how i handle these kind of things um and when when this element changes that is my reaction um because it it you won't have time to think things through on the moment itself do it do it in training and then and then two quick things um your whole point is not to win so, so you need, your your point is to survive and get away, and and to get home in one piece. So you don't need to beat the guy. It's not a sparring match. Mm. So focus on ending it, ending it really quickly. And the more you focus on that, the safer you you are usually, because the quicker it's over, the less chance of you getting hurt. But also the less chance of you doing overkill and hitting the guy too many times, and then you end up on the wrong side of the law. That was it.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good point, and then that's key again just drill, drilling to the uh, the objective each time so like we, we do do uh, scenarios where we okay you've got to protect this person, you've got to extract this person There's you know now we're going to do uh, multiple opponent scenarios you know we, we run through them all with with the aim of conditioning the right habit based on that external um stimulus you know the, the more people practice it the more likely they are to make good decisions in like you say well well not even decisions the more likely they are to react in the right way under um under pressure and the other one i just like is that that, i think this is sometimes when martial artists come to self-defense it's a problem they have is because they um generally have a defined uh, so for example you know like let's say you you train in thai boxing great system but you're training it primarily for the ring craft of it your objective is always i need to beat this guy until he's unconscious and then if you if you don't practice other scenarios, self defense wise, all you have is I need to beat this guy until he's unconscious, which could be too much if you say it's you know the drunk guy at the party. it, it could also be problematic if like there's more than one guy and your objective, you know, you, you, there's an escape option which you don't see because you're thinking of you know beating the guy until he's unconscious. So I I always think it's it's very important to drill the the specific scenarios when nobody we'll like to face and 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 work for those you know so um yeah make sure you get it right in training which is what we've both said yeah yeah, yeah. okay awesome Um. right okay so i think i'm gonna let's yep. have a look at our list your turn. now so yeah i'm gonna pick one from your list for your whim so uh, I, I would I, I would like something about the red flags to look out for when joining a new um uh, martial arts gym or in training in general and are there common themes that should uh, make you cut and run
1: yeah, so um, I just recorded a podcast episode, um, and it's on how to choose a self defense class or instructor. So that should be out by the time that uh, the listeners are listening to this episode we're doing here today. So, and that's, uh, the way to get there is uh, go to women'sblog.com forward slash twenty five number twenty five, and then you can listen to that episode where I go into detail about picking a self defense instructor. Uh, lots of stuff. I'm not going to cover it here, but that, that is um, a lot of red flags there. Um, I've written two articles about that almost, holy crap, almost 10 years ago now. <laughs> so uh, one is called How to Visit Another Martial Arts School or Gym, and the second one is How to Train at a New Martial Arts School or Gym. Um, I'll put links in the show notes, and that that should give a lot of information, a lot of details. Um, generally speaking, uh, some of the, what I would say now is that if if the guy if the, the the instructor or the students they're bragging about how great their style is and so on um, if if they're not really welcoming when you show up um, if if there's they're really strict or not strict at all if the I mean if, if you see all these little things add up that uh, you should you are gonna say like well you know it's, it's kind of not sure about that um, you need to start questioning is this a good idea to, to train here? You could be wrong, but trust your gut a little bit. Um, for instance, you need to see hard training, good training, but needs to be fair. If you see guys taking cheap shots and being, being a little bit of an asshole to each other, you might not you might not want to train there. Mm. And what I most of all would do is um, look at the students and, as, uh, and, and, and especially the instructor, size them up like you would any other stranger you meet for the first time. If if somebody creeps you out and they give you a really uncomfortable feeling, well, trust your gut and and leave. Um, you do this. We do this all the time when we're walking down the street. Somebody talk, walks up to us and asks us a question. You automatically size them up. You're scanning for danger and and so on. Well, you should. Um, so so you you don't know this person and you don't know what their intentions are. Same thing when you go to a class. But the difference is that you're going into a class full of strangers, and they're all specialized in in breaking bones and beating people up. So you might want to pay attention to the nonverbals and how they act and how they are towards each other. And most adults, by the time you're 18, 19, you have plenty of experience just getting in contact with people you don't know and and uh, trying to make a judgment call. We do this automatically, instinctively, anyway. Uh, what I would say is make it a conscious choice of just being aware what these people are like and and um and just trust your gut uh look look at all the the podcast episode and the the articles that i said for for a lot of details i'm not going to give you a, a list of 50,000 items here but most of all it's about it's just just human interaction and they you have to feel welcoming um i was in the us last year and i went into a, a brazilian jiu-jitsu gym just to watch we were walking down the streets and um and i saw that there was a class I'm like cool let's just go in and watch um stu- the students were practicing it was a white belt class everything was flowing everything was fine the instructor and the assistant were really uh hands-on and 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 supportive and the instructor he's a black belt he came over and he introduced himself is said, hi um can i help you and this and that and I said, oh, we're just, we're just here to watch. They said, yeah, sure, fine, sit down. And it was a very welcoming atmosphere. I do the same thing. When somebody shows up in my class, I um, I make sure my students know what to do. And then I walk over, introduce myself. Hi, can I help you? Any information you need, uh, you're free to watch. You can sit here. And if there's anything, I'll uh, just let me know. And I'll be back in a couple of minutes. And I think that's that's the best way to, to go about it and then if if turns out that, that those people are <laughs> there for bad reasons you'll you as a teacher you'll find that really quickly but 999 times out of 100 you, you just you act like a normal human being and you expect the same treatment and result that's it. yeah, that,
0: yeah no that, that that that's that's sound advice and then not settling you know that that's exactly as like you say if if there's something that you think this is off well then don 't don 't train there I think sometimes is that like almost like a, a, a um, an unbalanced power dynamic or oh, they 're the sensor they 're the instructor. I have to kind of accept all the shit they throw my way, and you don't you know <coughs> excuse me if you go to a club and it feels wrong, then go somewhere else it 's amazing sometimes how much martial artists will put up with they 'll tell you about you no know, how they to endure this t- awful instructor for years and years and years well just don 't. You know, what I mean, just 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 go and find somewhere else. You know, it's it's too um, important. You know, your time's too important to spend it with with people that aren't uh, fun to be around. And as you say, that's the thing I, I do pride my own club on that. You know, I've got a really nice group of people there. Every visitor we get is made to feel very welcome. You know, everyone's um, yeah. uh, warm and welcoming. They'll, they'll look after visitors, you know. Um, and, and I think new beginners are, are people that, you know, are great. We're so pleased you want to be part of the family. You know, we'll, we'll look after you. We'll help you, you know, take your initial uh, baby steps and stuff. I, I think that, that's, that's a feeling you want. And if anything feels off, then don't train there. Go find somewhere else.
1: Yeah, and, and it's like I said before, there's there's all sorts of um, levels of intensity and different kinds of societies. If you're living in a really rough neighborhood, chances are that if there's a martial arts gym there, that that it's going to be a little bit more, more rough around the edges. And that's fine because that's the environment you're in. If you're in a, a high-priced neighborhood, let's put it that way, you'll usually find a gym that, that it's uh, a little bit cleaner and it's very family-oriented and so on. But if you live in, the, in uh, let's, let's call it the bad part of town, the gym might be really um, rough and, and not family friendly. But that is the environment you live in. So, so you need to, um, just like, like you said, you, you need to find a place where you can feel like, okay, I, I belong here. I can, I can be here. This is fine. This is for me.
0: Yeah, no, I think that's very, very true. Okay. Uh, so let's, yeah, let's have a look at uh, what would be Wim's advice to martial artists when it comes to weightlifting?
1: Okay, I've got a huge list. I'm going to <laughs> uh, make... I, I like to prepare for these kind of questions because um, it's so easy to misunderstand and then I say something and then all of a sudden uh, I get an email by somebody who takes offense at it and, and they inter- interpret it. Um, I try to be thorough. Um, as you guys know, you know, uh, I do, I, I'm a personal trainer for living. I've been working um, for well over 20 years like that. So it, it's been... I've written books about it and so on. Anyway... Um, my point is this, you need to have, you know, need to have, it's a really good idea to have some sort of conditioning when you practice martial arts. Um, you know that in, in Okinawa and karate, they have many conditioning drills and equipment that they use. Mm-hmm. So it it's, we're not seeing anything new here in, um, the Tai Chi Chuan style that I practice. We have what we call Nekong. Uh, other people use the term chikung which is its internal work. It's a sort sort of conditioning method, and we have other conditioning methods as well that we practice. So I'm a, I'm a big believer in that. The difference is that you you don't want what we call brute strength. We want trained strength. So it's okay if you want to lift weights, but the goal is not just to lift weights. The goal is to use that adi- um, additional strength in your techniques. So that should be your primary goal. If you lift to lift, it's fine you enjoy that it's great i enjoy that too but that's not the goal so as a martial artist the conditioning that you do needs to be um, a supplement to your training and it needs to make you a better martial artist not make your bicep bigger mm. so with that in mind i would say be in it for the long haul so take your time and go for long-term results as opposed to i need to gain uh i don't know 10 pounds of muscle by the end of uh, by the end of the month so i can uh, look good at the, uh, on the beach in my in my swimming trunks that, that that's not it Um, quickly some some technical stuff so movements in uh, weightlifting and conditioning you need to understand the difference between what is called a primary mover secondary mover and stabilizer so when you do a movement for instance chest press you have primary mover is your chest muscle secondary mover is going to be your shoulder and triceps and stabilizers are for instance rotator cuff I'm oversimplifying you need to understand which muscles are you training what is their job in the movement there's loads of books and videos out there that talk about that, so that's not going to be an issue. But you need to understand what you're what you're doing, uh, because only then can you have proper technique. And if you have proper technique when you lift weights, that's when you make progress and when you avoid injuries, which is the whole point. Um, I said it before: rest and recovery is just as important as training. So, so hugely important. Um, so, so don't uh, don't overlook it. And then there's something called periodization. And I, and I will add a link to, um, to the show notes about that. And that is how you structure training, for instance, uh, over a period of several months or even several years. This is, um, in my opinion, one of the holy grails when it comes to conditioning. You need to use periodization. Every single professional athlete uses it. If they don't, they're idiots because it works. Now, we can talk about how you apply that. That's different. But you, you need to have a structured schedule in your training, otherwise you're going to overtrain and you are going to uh, like the the bros say nowadays you're going to lose your gains, man. So <laughs> you, you you need to structure it. It is hugely important. And I'll put a um, um, a link to that um, to a really good book about periodization by Tudor Bomba, which is the who's the godfather of periodization. That'll explain in, in detail. Boring book, scientific, boring but very, very important. Uh, When I started implementing that, I made enormous progress, uh, and that was after almost uh, 10 years of of lifting weights. So that said, technique-wise, people always want to hear techniques. Okay, if you're going to start anywhere, learn a decent squat and deadlift. So squatting, deadlifting, you need to learn that. And proper techniques of squat and deadlift can take up to a year easy before you master the basic form because it's very technical. Add chest press and some sort of rows or pull-ups um, for upper body. Uh, and then absolutely add core work. Core work means abdominals, deep back muscles, and so on. Um, and I would like to point you to a couple of exercises that are uh, good in addition to that, and that is more for the stabilizers. So look, go on YouTube and look up shoulder stabilization, rotator cuff, shoulder blade exercises, core exercises, and in particular, what is called the McGill 3. So M-C-G-I-L-L, Professor McGill 3. He has three excellent exercises for the core. Start by doing that, and, and it's a really good place to start. And then quickly, um, a couple of things that you know that, that will help you for more information. I very much like Dr. Michael Yes's one by 20 program. I've, I've used it for several years now. He came out with it several years ago, and it's one set of 20. That's where you start, and long explanation. But it works really, really well for beginners. It's really great. Even advanced students uh, and practitioners of, of weightlifting can can make a lot of progress with it. And it's surprising because you're, you're not training as hard as you are before, and you still get better. So, I'll, again, I'll put links to that in the show notes. So, Dr. Michael, yes, it's 1 by 20. A really good book to understand conditioning and strength training in martial arts It's called the science of martial arts training by charles staley i very much recommend you read it it's going to make a lot of sense and you'll understand better uh what you can do and then a final one um and that is uh, my power control video uh, i made that a few years ago which is strength training and conditioning very specific for martial arts body mechanics um and it's a general system that can be applied for many many different kinds of martial arts and you can tailor tailor it to your own needs so I'll put a link to that as well and then the final one uh, i'm 46 been training with lifting uh weights since i was 18 so your training is going to change as you get older so it change with it don't be afraid to like uh, i'm not allowed to train with really heavy weights anymore I would warm up with my chest press with 100 kilograms. That was my warm-up. I was fine. Um, but my neurosurgeon said, your spine is actually not that good. So you're not built for that kind of stuff. You, you you have a really small foundation, and you put a skyscraper on top of it. So I haven't trained with really heavy weights in years. I haven't lost that much strength, though. So you have to change as you get older. That was it.
0: Oh, that's excellent. There's really loads of good advice there. See, about twenty odd years ago, I I did my uh, weightlifting uh, qualifications, oh. uh, but I, I'm aware it's all way out of date now. You know, I mean, the the science moves on. So what I was taught that long ago. Um, it was has now been superseded by uh, researchers. But I, I've I've always um, weight trained. All my instructors have always weight trained as well, and I found it to be very beneficial. I take it you, obviously you you're the same. With you, you've never had you know any experience of these negatives that martial artists sometimes purport to have. You know, like makes you slow or makes you stiff.
1: Uh, only if you do it the wrong way. Only if you, for instance, follow what too many martial artists did. Uh, is follow bodybuilding uh, schedules. That That's not yeah. your goal. I mean, you if you remember the K1 fighter, uh, Jérôme Le Banner, the French guy, really big uh, heavyweight, um, he was a, one of the top K1 fighters uh, in his day. And he once said in an interview, uh, they asked him, what do you do about weight training? Yeah, I do just, you know, bodybuilding, because so, I like to have big muscles and it makes me feel good. I was like, what the hell? I mean, you're a professional athlete, you're not supposed to do stuff like that because it's no use. It's not about mass, it's about function. So, yeah, if you train wrong, sure, you, you'll, you'll be slower. But, you know, train the right way and there's tons of, exp- of material that will teach you how.
0: Yeah, and then that's it. And looking for a training program that's in, in congruent with your goals as well. Because you see, if you hit YouTube, uh, like a lot of the advice you're going to get is, is, is cosmetic. You know, they're not looking for, for functional um, a, a p- advice and they're certainly not looking at it from functional from a martial perspective as well so for us it definitely needs to be a a supplement and you've given them loads of stuff to yeah i've been making notes there so i'll 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 be i'll be hitting the internet as soon as this (laughs) interview (laughs) is finished trying to update my knowledge a little bit okay yeah yeah. so the next one then uh, who do you try to emulate in the martial arts and why
1: okay um there's a couple of people that that i that i try to emulate in a sense that um they taught me a lot, so this is quickly. Uh, I don't often get a chance to say that. So some of the people that I that I have a, a debt of gratitude for uh, them teaching me. So first of all, would be Dan Doherty, who's the head instructor of the Tai Chi Chuan style that I practice. He's a Renaissance man. Um, he was a police officer in Hong Kong, has a law degree. He's a Tai Chi Chuan master. Very few people that I would give that title. Uh, he competed in full contact competitions and won. Uh, he speaks Mandarin, Cantonese. He can translate ancient Chinese texts. So he's a, a true Renaissance man uh, in the martial arts. And, and if anything, I try to emulate uh, that as much as I can. Um, somebody else, Patrick Couder, my main Tai teacher, who's one of Dan's students. He's a very humble man, but he's very, 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 very highly skilled. And he's one of the most generous teachers that I've ever had. And, and here's the thing. Uh, I didn't know that, but he's also an artist. He makes amazing art, and I didn't know until Dan told me. And then I asked him, I said, yeah, yeah, i do this thing. He, he wins national competitions and, and so on. So he's very humble, and when I get a big hit and <laughs> I think too much of myself, I try to be more humble like my teacher. Um, and then, there's, obviously, there's Lauren Christensen, who's my mentor and, and uh, writing partner sometimes. He, he has an immense depth of knowledge and experience, but, but he, he still keeps training. Uh, he's got he's had injuries. He survived cancer, and he's still training. So so that is something that I try to follow. And, and he's also down to earth, and he always keeps it practical. One of the things I really learned from him is just keep it simple. Um, it shouldn't be too complicated. Keep it simple, and, and I try to follow that example a lot. And obviously, I cannot forget Bob Orlando, uh, my teacher. He was also an extremely generous and kind man. But what I learned most of all from him is to be a better teacher. He was one of the best teachers I've ever met. And then the final one is a friend of mine who's who's um, not a famous martial artist, uh, martial arts teacher, Jerry Sheila. And uh, we got to know each other almost 20 years ago, and we started arguing, and, and we had what we, what is still called the Tai Chi Chuan Wars, because we, we discussed this really hard. Um, he taught me that he's much smarter than me, um I'm, I'm like the dumb guy in the conversation he's really smart uh he knows so much more than i do and he taught me that the value of a discussion lies in the exchange it's not about winning it's not about beating the other person it's about having an exchange and that was a lesson that i needed to learn uh when we first met and i've tried to uh i tried to follow that uh ever since that was it
0: yeah very, you know very good obviously my um, teachers um all of them um, that's why they become your teachers, the people that you wish to emulate. They've all got characters. I've got, uh, Doug James was the guy originally trained in. You know, a, a, a Doug's a, um, an eighth dan. Um, trained his entire life. Great teacher. Uh, they've got Peter Considine, who, obviously, very knowledgeable guy, very wide ranging uh, uh, set of skills, uh, and and his work ethic is incredible. And his intelligence in the way he trains. You know, Peter's 69 years old now, still trains like a crazy person. But he's been able to train that hard because he's also trained intelligently. Uh, Brian Seabright's a guy that I train with regularly Um, Brian's, again, his speed and skill and his humour is just something that I I really, um, really admire Uh, When I was training under judo, I did under Mike uh, Lip Trot Mike's one of the best teachers I've ever come across His ability to um, break things down and and, and to be goal-specific in his his teaching is really good But for me as well, any martial artist I come across I'm, I'm, I'm always looking for something I can steal you know, so if, if somebody does something well, I'm always like, OK, I want that punch or I, I want that person's flexibility or, you know, whatever it is I, I, I can see from somebody that I think, you know, that's an, an admirable trait or that's a, a skilled ability. Then, you know, I'll try and use that as my own inspiration. So, you know, and students provide that as well sometimes, you know, you know, like um, I had one girl who was um, she was, uh, she, was having, she made a full recovery, but she was undergoing chemo and all that for cancer, She's still at the dojo every single time you know what I mean, it's doing what she could. So it, it stops me kind of whinging, you know, about how I can't train because I've pulled my shoulder a little bit, you know what I mean? It's yeah. a, you know, it, it, that was like, okay, you know, she's, she's doing what she can in the way that she can, and and and, and that's something, you know, we can't always go full bore. So, yeah, there's lots of people out there to, to emulate. And then, of course, I do the converse as well. If you find people that you think, well, I don't want that person's attitude or, you know, whatever it's to be if they're doing that i need to guard that I, I don't do that myself so yeah always looking to learn from other people
1: okay great okay yeah. um in karate in karate there is a big focus on searching the kata and its true meaning how come everything is not clear and there is a need to research and do reverse engineering uh when it is known that most of the colors come from kung fu <laughs> risky uh why not go to white crane and long fist to find the real meaning of bunkai? Uh, okay i'm gonna leave that one to you <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's, a, it's a it's a really good question though so and, and there's a few parts to it so i'll briefly discuss them all so um, how come everything's not clear Is is the first one is is, is that karate, uh, like most of the Japanese martial arts, uh, w- got swept up by that uh, Dole revolution. And and, and uh, maybe swept up is the wrong term, because if, if it hadn't, if karate hadn't adopted what was the zeitgeist of the time, that prevailing ethos, it would never have spread. It would have been a thing practiced by a handful of Okinawans that died out a few hundred years ago. Uh, Itosu, uh, Funakoshi, Mabuni—people of that era, uh, particularly Funakoshi, had the uh, the 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 vision to go right. Judo is huge, you know, is huge. So let's copy what Judo's doing. It's no longer karate; it's karate dough We're going to steal Judo's ethos. We're going to steal the grading system idea. We're even going to steal the suits that they wear. We're going to steal their form of competition into ippons and mazares. They're just wholesale ripped off Judo to make something that would be uh, popular, and it and it worked. But a big part of that was it was spread through the university system in Japan. So with university students, you've got them there, you know, four, five, six years. And you're not really doing it for combative function. You're doing it for the uh, health and the physical challenge and all those kind of things. So you've got people learning a lot of forms because you've got limited time you've only got them for four or five years you've got people learning a lot of forms very quickly with the objective no longer being combative efficiency now Funakoshi himself makes reference to this he said uh, in my day we studied narrow and deep today they study shallow and wide you know in the past they'd learned one or two cutters to great depth now they're learning a lot superficially uh, he, he, he remarks in his writing he says that the karate of today is not the same as the karate of ten years ago and it's a long way indeed from the karate I learned in Okinawa as a child so, so Funakoshi was clear that there'd been this evolution as part of that uh, evolution that the bunkai got dropped you then get a generation of karate teachers who kind of take their best guess and what they tended to do was they tried to superimpose onto the kata the idea that you're fighting another karateka from a distance and that caused all kinds of problems when we read what the past masters were saying, they say, no, no, it's for fighting um, in self-defense, you know, like, so not a fellow martial artist at close range. And when you look at the forms in that way, they make a, a lot more sense. So so that's why it, be- it became unclear. Um, and then since, you know, for the last, whatever, it's been 30 years, there's been a concerted effort to get back to the roots a little bit with it. I think we've had a, a lot of success with that. Uh, to the point where I, I don't really think we're reverse engineering anymore. I think, it, it, I mean, we may be on, on occasion, but I think for most forms, people can say, here's a full set of applications and drills that are entirely consistent with everything we you know historically. So they may, uh, may or may not be the exact same drills that were practiced in the past, but they're certainly fulfilling the exact same purpose, you know, to so the point where students are learning forms and applications side by side. Now, in terms of going back to Kung Fu, that, 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 that is true that, that um, uh, you know, Okinawa's, it's a, it's a Series of island, It's an important uh, uh, trading place. It's important tactically, you know, militarily. Um, so therefore, you get a lot of people coming and going, and, and there's no doubt that various st- styles of kung fu. Uh, if we can use that term to describe them all, we're, 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 have been a big influence on, on karate itself. But these are lost, a lot of them. you know. So, for example, Kushanku is a system we've got. Kishanku is a Chinese martial artist who inspired a form that was created by Todi Sakagawa. This, far, uh, this form is widely practiced, but nobody knows what system Kushanku did. Uh, the other thing is, as well, the question infers that the systems themselves uh, haven't undergone any uh, any uh, only undergone a, any evolution so one of the things i've got is i've got a, a, a police training manual a chinese police uh, training manual and in that that's written in the 1930s in that the guy it could be somebody talking about modern karate today uh, he talks about how you know the, the forms the applications have been lost uh, people are now concerned with just how it looks you know I mean, it, it, the, the, the 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 chinese systems have also had these 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 um uh these influences and the final thing would be of course is it's not just those forms as well. The Okinawans had their own martial arts, and the Japanese had their own martial arts, and that's all got squished together into what we now um, we now call karate. So I think that's the the various elements you know, that uh, the, the question uh, addressed. Obviously, you you can and have write books on any one of those elements. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> people people have done that, but that's that's that, that's a, the the general general thing.
1: Yeah. I think. And- I mean, I, I agree with, with with what you said, and um, the only thing I would add is that the the same problem exists in Chinese kung fu, uh, is that a lot of people are looking for the, the the meaning of what's in the forms, because it's lost. Obviously, we had uh, in Chinese martial arts, we we had communism take over in China and basically try to eradicate uh, traditional martial arts, and we have uh, modern wushu, so modern kung fu, which is uh, in many ways just a a, 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 di- a very diluted version of it. Uh, what was meant for health but not at all if you're taking over as a totalitarian system uh, a huge country like china you don't want to have a lot of locals really well versed in the art of combat so they want to get wanted to get rid of it so there's a lot of information that got lost there and that brings me to the true question uh the real question here is why does information get lost and and in particular us as westerners uh doing uh asian martial arts my, Dan told me once uh, that, don't forget that we're doing a Western interpretation of an Eastern practice. And, and some things don't translate, and some things we really can't understand because we're not Chinese or Japanese. Um, and, and it's a very different experience normally for for them in their own, own country, or it used to be. Um, in the Chinese system, it's all it, it, way too often it was just, okay, just shut up and do it. And eventually you're going to learn everything. And in and, and if you do it, uh, if you can do it right, uh, the way your teacher shows you, you'll be able to pull it off in a fight. That was a goal. And eventually you will see everything that is in the system because the teacher was a father figure. You, you, you were with him all the time and you're supposed to listen and obey and just do as he says and, and just stick with him. And eventually he will show you the, the whole thing. Um i don't agree with that practice but but that's how it used to be so it's so it's easy to see how stuff gets lost uh in such a way of teaching um and another thing uh, particular to chinese martial arts is that in in, in you, you need keys to unlock some of the forms keys meaning certain information and we have uh in our system and in many other chinese systems and then in asian martial arts in general there's inside the door and outside the door training uh, inside the door means that you go through um, a ceremony, basically, of saying, like, look, I'm going to be a good student. And it just says, I'm go- going to be a good st- teacher to you. And I accept you as my disciple. And we are going, it's, it's not religious at all. It's, it's just uh, a typical Chinese thing. And then you are basically, you're in the family now. And now we're going to teach you everything. People who do not go through, uh, it's called Baishi. So uh, that, that ceremony, you are there outside the door. They still learn. they don't learn everything and i've seen this consistently in all asian martial arts this kind of practice there's the public stuff you've got omete and and uh, ura, i think in in japan Mm -hmm. the public face private face same principle i've seen it in in indonesian arts i've seen it all over so that's how um information also gets lost and then specifically for forms uh, for instance in chinese chinese forms many many movements are obscured on purpose so, so that lets you practice when other people watch and they can't understand what it means. So it's, it's on, for instance, we have movements where in the form we step back, but in application you're supposed to step forward and vice versa. And you do it left, but in application it's supposed to be right. And that leads us to a concept that we have in our style. It's called true transmission. So you need a teacher to transmit the art correctly to you so that stuff doesn't get lost and, and that um, the system isn't broken when it is transmitted. And that happens mm. all the time.
0: That, that, yeah, that, that's um, yeah, really, really interesting. I mean, I, I, I guess a follow-up question would be, um, well, why are we studying arts when we know they've got holes in them? Why not just study a, a modern martial art where these holes don't exist? And that's sometimes one that I get. And to which my response would be, well, those holes came up historically, but I think we've done a very good job in plugging them to the point where the system is now back to being complete. Again, it may not be historically exactly the same, nor should it, because it's evolving. And and, and your point about we're doing a, a Western version, I think that's really true i say to my students all the time we're doing a western version of a japanese version of an okinawan version of yeah. chinese arts you know it, it, it's kind of moved on and and again and knowing the karate that i do i can see that western influence you know there's invariable like you know the padrils we do there's some boxing elements that have, that have came in from from my, my teachers certainly in the way that we practice it yeah uh, even culturally like you know so things like the 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 formal bowing and stuff i've really uh minimized that in 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 the last decade or so because i realize i'm just not japanese i i don't fully understand yeah. uh, elements of that culture nor do nor do i i need to for what i want i understand that people do and you know culture studying other cultures is a fascinating and important thing but for my objectives i don't need it so i, I freely will will we bow but we'll also tap gloves we have the western stuff as well so yeah 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 i think that's um yeah, lots of ways we could go with that one, but I think I think we've answered that question. Okay, I think there's lots of information for both practitioners of, of yeah, Chinese yeah. and uh, things. So I've got one for you, Wim. It says, um, yeah, if you had to start over again in a completely different martial art, what would you study and why?
1: Um, I'm going to answer that one a little bit in, a, in an obscure fashion. Um, there's a friend of mine, and I'm going to call him the Keeper of Nessie, um, and he knows who it is. And he, he has a, a style that he practices that I would have loved to be his student. It's, it's, it couldn't happen because of a variety of reasons. Uh, he lives across the world, so uh, <laughs> it's not practical. Um, I'm too old now, and, and, and so we won't be able to, to get that done. I would have loved to study his system. Um, he knows who he is. He prefers to be low-key. Um, he prefers to uh, stay out of the limelight, so I'm going to respect that and not say his name. But if he's listening or he ever listens to his, you know, he knows. So I have to leave it at that.
0: Yeah, uh, that's, um, that's a, I like that. That's <laughs> a, 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 a modern mystery. I love it. I, my, uh,
1: I have a wide variety of friends from all over the world that are very special people. Let's put it that way.
0: <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think this is, this is the thing with martial arts. It does bring you into contact with I'll use your term, very special people. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, f- well, Obviously, for, for me, the, the, the reason I, I started karate was I knew I wanted to do martial arts, and that was the nearest club to me that had a good reputation. So it wasn't like I sat down and thought, right, let's weigh up the pros and cons of every single martial art in existence and find the one that best suits me. So it was like most of us, we end up studying the, the, the whatever system we fall into, you know. Yeah, I'm glad that I fell into karate because it's worked for me. It's, it's appealed to me, um, you know. It's given me what I've made. I've dabbled with other systems, but the karate works. But I, I think what attracts me to it, and, and I mean, I've, I'm not one of these people that goes, you know, art A is better than art B. I, I think th- they're all good. There's good and bad approaches to any given martial art you can think of. Yeah. But but I, 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 what appeals to me on a, a non-functioning level is I like feeling part of a tradition and I like something with a bit of history behind it. Now, that, that would make no difference to combative efficiency at all. So if someone invented a fantastically effective martial art tomorrow, it wouldn't really work for me uh, on a personal level because I need to feel part of that tradition, and I like something with a bit of history. Even though I'd, I'd be stealing its good ideas, but I'd be making it part of my traditional system. So for me, it would probably be something like... Um, uh, Japanese Jiu Jitsu would work for me probably uh, any number of the Chinese forms would work for, if, as Chinese systems if I had to start again because you know I like ones with forms you know I like some with history I like something with some depth so it would be, be one of one of those and it would be because I like something with tradition I like something with history yeah
1: yeah. Okay, but well, the question was how would we both critique the state of sport competition uh, versions, both forms and sparring events, in our respective styles. So, karate for you, and Chinese martial arts for me. So, go ahead.
0: Well, I can make. It, I, I I've been out of that scene for a very long time, so yeah, I'm not the the, the right person to, to, to ask about it really. All we'll say, obviously, there's a, there's a big um, concerns and excitement about the fact that karate is in the 2020 Olympics. Um, so that one co- comes up a lot, for, for, you know how that may impact karate as its practice. I don't think it will really, because you know you're talking; um, it's not going to be one of the main highlights. The only time it'll be on the TV is if someone from your country happens to win a medal in it, yeah. and then they'll, they'll provide some some time for it. Uh, I I am happy for the people that do the sports martial arts, and it's it's going well for them that they've got that Olympic recognition. I know these are people who train really hard and are very dedicated what they do, and I really admire them for that. Uh, I, I think so long as you judge all the sport against its own criteria and you don't judge it as a um, how would one style of competition fare against another style of competition, or how relevant is it to self-defense, if you acknowledge it for what it is, it's it's good, it's wonderful, I'm happy people are doing it and enjoying it, it's not really um, for me. Okay. That's all I could really say on it.
1: Yeah. Um, I'll quickly uh, talk a little bit about that because um, I, I so Chinese martial arts. The the, the sparring system is called San or Samba, I used to be the national coach for Belgium. Um, I competed in that as well. What I've seen is that I, I stopped um, practicing that and teaching that a few years ago. I switched to mixed martial arts because I really like it a little bit better. Let's put, let's put it that way. There's more possibilities is more versatility um, I can be more myself as a competitive fighter in MMA than I ever could be in Sancho so that's one thing just for me personally but also Sancho is actually dying out internationally and in China too I've got one of my students who's who regularly visits China and he says I, I, I have re, he used to, he started with, with me in Sancho and he said I can't find a gym here uh, um, he says uh, MMA and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu that's what you see there growing but traditional martial arts and and Sanshu in particular it it's not getting bigger quite on the contrary and i've seen the same thing happen in western countries so uh, i'm out, again like you i'm out of that uh, part of the of, the, of uh, the art for me so i'm i'm no longer following it um forms again modern wushu forms They don't interest me i don't follow them at all um the tai chi style that i do there's there's competitions for that as well forms competition is sometimes fun because it's interesting to see interpretations of other people how they do the forms that i practice Mm -hmm. uh i did a little bit of pushing hands competition that was fun too uh but uh, again uh, I, i did my competing back in the day i had a lot of fun with that but i'm 46 now so it it's not really a big deal for me anymore. I still like to train hard. I still like to do the sparring and all that kind of stuff. But I don't really follow it as much anymore. Same thing with the pushing hands competitions. I look sometimes, I'll, I'll, a video comes my way and I'll look at it and it's great. But I don't have any plans for uh, competing again or training people for that. So uh, it's not really my wheelhouse anymore, kind of like you.
0: Mm. I, I, mean, I, I will, for the forms thing, you know, obviously you, you see... I I used to be um, I used to. Comp- Obviously, competing both, yeah. and uh, as a, as I, I was a, um, a tatami chief, a mat chief at national level for, for forms competitions, I used to judge them at, at the high level. Uh, and then they, they brought in the rules where for team bunkai, the if team kata, they have to do bunk-eye at the end, and that's when I stopped. Yeah. Um, you know, which may seem up to people, it's because again, the bunk-eye that you see demonstrated in those forms, I, I just couldn't be seen to endorse that because to me, that's not bunkai, that's that's gymnastics. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and, and I and I get it. Because, like you know, who wants to see kind of like a three-minute demonstration of eye gouging and throat slapping? Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not, it's not visually appealing. You know, I understand that, but 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 and again, I admire the athleticism of those who do it, but it, but it's it's not it's not really for me. Yeah. Okay. Awesome.
1: I, I think, you, you I have think we have a catch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well,
1: um, first of all, Ian, I want to thank you for the invitation and the idea of doing this because. I think this. This is, I had a lot of fun. This. This is always fun. It's kind of like um, I'm. am a big nerd on martial arts nerd. It's like uh, if you have you put two Star Trek fans together and they're talking about all these details. That's kind of how I feel <laughs> yeah, about I know, martial arts and so of fun. so This was a lot of fun for me.
0: Yeah. You know, me, me. Me too. No. I. I um, and, and again, it's something fresh. You know. I hope for for the, for my guys who listen to this um obviously with your background and perspective you know there's there's lots of like new and interesting bits of information that i'm sure people um will will, will enjoy exploring and some new insights in there so thanks very much for sharing all that with us i appreciate it a lot oh my pleasure
1: and and maybe we can do this again sometime in the future if the people enjoy it you know i would say to all listeners let us know what you think about this podcast and if you want to hear more of ian and i just uh talking like this and, and discussing topics that you give us i uh, I'm up for it I would love it
0: yeah me too well well, well one thing we can say we're like you, you you and I can do this again it's just whether we're recording let them listen <laughs> so yeah. you know yeah if you want a recording of it let us know we can we can we can press record <laughs> Excellent. all right William, enjoy, enjoy the US okay thank
1: you thank you Ian. take care yeah. Bye bye
0: Well, I found that to be a really enjoyable conversation. Uh, I love how Wim thinks and how he's able to articulate his viewpoints, and I hope that you found that as interesting and enjoyable as as we did. As I say, it's definitely something we'll be be doing again. And many thanks to everyone who submitted questions to both Wim and myself. and The great talking points that I think made for uh, an interesting discussion. So, yes, thank you very much for listening, and we'll both be back with more information for you soon. Take care now. Bye-bye.